Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the House of X Book Club. I am Rob, your host, and I am joined tonight by the members of the Quiet Council. Uh, House of X Book Club, we read X-Men comics and X-Men adjacent comics, and we start from number one. So uh, that's what we're doing right now. I'm going to go ahead and uh, let the guys have it. Uh, welcome, Roger. Hello, everyone. My name is Roger. And with us, we also have Shane. How's everybody doing tonight? Roger, as usually, is a fountain of information about himself. <laughs> Stay tuned and learn more. And uh, joining us for the first time, and hopefully not the last time, is our good friend, Drew. Hi, Drew. Hi, everybody. Glad to be here. Cool. Well, um, yeah, welcome back. I'm pretty stoked about what we're talking about uh, right now. We're going to be talking about a couple of... Uh, Comics issues, not X-Men comics issues necessarily, but uh, we're going to cover Journey into Mystery number 109 and X-Men number 10. Um, before we get into it, does anybody here have, like, I I'm just curious as far as the reading of these, how, how you felt about it compared to maybe the earlier, earlier issues? Well, um, Drew and I, Drew and I were just talking, and I think that the writing is getting better, and I think the art is actually getting a little bit better too. That's my personal perspective. Right yeah, it seems like the stories are flowing a little more smoothly. Yep, cool. There's definitely some hits and misses, but um, I'm I'm excited to see what happens after 14, because I felt like that um, while the the new like the colorist on number 14 was phoning it in i felt like the art was making improvements and the um the story was probably the most interesting one well by the time we get to those issues i got a lot to say about the art um and i have some really enlightening tidbits but tonight right now for this episode we're just going to cover journey into mystery 109 which is um the thor comic and the reason why I chose this book to read tonight was because it does fit into our X-Men continuity. Um, it's when Magneto strikes. And and this in continuity takes place just after X-Men number six, I believe, uh, when the X-Men face the Brotherhood uh, of Evil Mutants and Namor. So um, this is basically Magneto fighting Thor. And... Uh, I, 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 before we get into it too much, I want to say that there is one of the most ridiculous cameos of the X-Men in this comics that I have ever seen. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at any rate, um, Raj, why don't you go ahead and give us some insight? How did you feel about this issue? Oh, uh, before we do, I'm sorry. Before we do, I should say that it was uh, written by Stan Lee, of course, drawn by Jack Kirby, inked by Chick Stone. It was colored by our good friend Stan Goldberg, uh, who who nev never really gets credit, unfortunately. Um, also lettered by Artie Simic and Sam Rose. And of course, Stan Lee was the editor and the editor-in-chief on this book. But uh, right away to me, the art and the writing in this book was a lot different than our good friends at the X-Men, even though it's the same people working on it. So, yeah. What do you think, Raj? I think that deserves to be said. Yeah. That deserves to be said that there is a certain amount of uh, style change from book to book. I think I noticed that a little bit with the Fantastic Four. The dialogue seemed to be a little bit different when we read that crossover issue. 
with the X-Men and Fantastic Four. But with, uh, yeah, the, the Journey into Mystery, very similar in tone and look and feel, really, but some minor differences. I think there was a certain amount of maybe freedom that Stan Lee was feeling. I don't know. Uh, also, I think the backgrounds were a little better in this as far as what Kirby is doing. Um, it was pretty much a fun read. I mean, I, you know, seeing the old Jane Foster and uh, Donald Blake, you know, as they used to be originally, not the not the newer takes on them. It's kind of fun going back in the day and seeing the old school Thor and you know the characters and environments. Well, I was just going to say when you bring up the the dynamic between Jane Foster and uh, Donald Blake, it's interesting because it's you know kind of like the old movies or the old TV shows where the 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 young female nurse is just making googly eyes at the doctor and i, I think that that's kind of how <laughs> that's kind of how stan lee was like yeah this is this is what romance is you know this is, yeah. this, this is how women talk to doctors yes yes doctor. <laughs> um, but at any rate i'm sorry to interrupt go ahead no no worries um one thing i did notice in the book and i don't know if this was like done purposely to you know cross pollinate readership or something but uh there's a passive reference to the x-men with like the shadow of angel kind of of him flying overhead there's like a shadow on a wall and, and they somebody mentions them um the art was pretty good with more you know full backgrounds and environments um better stuff than i've seen in the earlier x-men titles and i don't again i don't know if that has anything to do with it, the amount of time that he was given to do it um i was reading that book marvel by design Mm -hmm. uh, just a little bit of it when it talked about the the Marvel method for how they were producing books back in the day. And I, I actually found that pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. So there's something interesting about that. So the Marvel method was designed by Stan Lee, pretty much. Um, I'm also reading an interesting book, and I'll bring it up. Since this is a book club, it's uh, American Comics, A History by Jeremy Dauber. And they talk about the Marvel method. And basically... We've got Jack Kirby, who forever has claimed to be more of a writer than Stan Lee and, and more of a contributor, or at least in some some places, the sole creator of characters. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the reason why he does is or he did that is because he really did put a lot of his own work into it. But Stan Lee was said at one point to, uh, this is coming from Dick, I think uh, Dick, Dick Ayers said that Stan would write a couple pages in the beginning and then the end and then give them to uh give them to dick and go okay make the story happen and he's like wait there's pages missing the whole middle stan where's the middle and uh stan said you just fill it in all right <laughs> so so then what they would do is dick would go okay so he wants a story where magneto and and the x-men are fighting and this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. I guess I'll just make that. And and then he would draw the panels and give them back to Stan, who would then go, oh, this is a great story. I'll go ahead and write the dialogue, uh, you know, script it. So apparently that's how that all started, which I find really funny. I find it really interesting, too. So, and yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah. So how about you, Shane? What do you think? Um, this one, I, I dug it. Um, I, I was on the same page with Rod, Roger, especially when it came to Mastermind. I felt like he was in the X book. He's kind of a coward and a lech. 
and in this book he's just bored yeah. <laughs> he's like, i ain't got nothing to do i guess we'll go pester the x-men yeah um i i find that i find that hilarious i mean he's always you know he's always hitting on the scarlet witch and trying to to make time with her and and but you're right it's it's almost like we're just kicking around with nothing to do. So, but this is why every every issue he's in, though, he's always fucking around. Like you know, <laughs> you know, he's always like, "Oh, I'm going to throw an illusion over at Magneto to see if it startles him." This is great. Um, you know, look out, Cyclops is attacking. You know, he's got ADD. He's he's got... The, he, <laughs> that was his. That was his secret mutant power. Is that he had ADD? <laughs> so in this issue, uh, in this issue, we have. Magneto, who's going to attack, he has a, he has like a, apparently his own secret base, right? Well, first of all, he's got a submarine, which I think is pretty cool. It's, it's this under, undersea, you know, it's just, it's just submersible, I guess. Um, but it's disguised. And I felt like this was a great disguise. He's got a tree basically sitting on top of the submarine. <laughs> so when people are looking out at the water and they see a tree, they don't notice anything. Fit right Except in in like a you know swamp thing comic book. I'm yeah, looking at it right now. At some point, they're like, "Wait, that tree has moved about four feet that way. Yeah. What's going on? That tree is migrating slowly up the Hudson River <laughs> against the current. Against the current." <laughs> I thought it was really cool because we, I mean, the only thing as far as a book club, the only thing we've seen of Thor is the issue with the Avengers. Uh, oh, right. They, where they were being mm -hmm. dicks to the Europeans. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, now the one guy in the car was from Ohio. He was, he was an American tourist. That's yeah. right. He was an American tourist. <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah. And, and, Thor, you know, his hammer was like leading them to where evil was, which I didn't realize was a thing Thor's hammer could do. But this way, in this in this particular issue, the thing that saved Thor was that his hammer turned him into Donald Blake, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I could be wrong about that. It's it's been a while, but yeah, yeah. We I, get had to a, see. I had a quite like how how much of a dumbass is Thor? to not realize that he was going to turn into Donald Blake. If, if his hammer was across the room for 60 <laughs> seconds, I did not remember that being a part of the Thor mythology at all. Yeah. It just seems so random and arbitrary. It, you really don't want to be throwing your hammer around if that's how it works. You know? Right. <laughs> that's, I mean, you just never let it go. You never let it go. Well, then that begs the question, does he have to be holding it? Can it be hanging at his side? It says or right does here. does it just need to be near it? Without the enchanted Uru mallet in the space of one full minute, he again reverts to the mortal form of Dr. Don Blake. Yeah, so they're not specific. Like, <laughs> does he need to be able to see it? Does he grab it, touch it, taste it, squeeze it, pass through his lower intestine? Um, Cue the very white. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight is right for it Uru. Is it, you know, forgive my <laughs> ignorance for this question, but is Thor, does Thor have an alter ego as Dr. Don Blake? Yeah. Is yeah. he not just always Thor? Nope. No. Well, not I at this not time, no. I did they not call him, they, they actually say that he is the lame Dr. Donald Blake who has a cane. And when he taps his cane against the floor, it turns into the hammer. Interesting. Mighty Mjolnir. Yeah. The more you know. And that's why the nurse was going, well, doctor, are we going to dinner tonight? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then 
oops, sorry, I got to go fight Magneto as Thor. And then, uh, you know, he goes and does his thing. And of course, she's totally butt hurt because she got stood up. But when you're Thor, you know. You but they expect. do, they do in the future, they do like, and when I say the future, I mean like fairly recently, they did a story that kind of explains that whole thing. And it was they all o Odin's doing where he like was trying to teach Thor humility or some nonsense yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. I think the way they, they retconned it is that uh, Thor is not actually Donald Blake or you right. know, there is no Donald Blake. He just kind of changes into the disguise of Donald Blake. And, and, you know, well, no, there in, in this story I read, there is a Donald Blake, but he was cre literally created by Odin. And he's, he's just kind of like a, a half being. He's not even really a full, sentience or soul but he does he does uh like gain power after being trapped in asgard or wherever it is and eventually you know finds a way out of his trap and yeah. tries to get revenge i gotta say that while reading this issue we are really obviously scarlet witch is getting tired of this shit like she has been a little bit but she's even more so she's like i'm almost i, I just ah you know, I'm done with this. And part of that, of course, is because of, uh, you know, her good friend, the mastermind. But, but uh, you know, at some point, I think it's Avengers number 16, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are going to take off and join the Avengers. So you can tell she's getting, you can tell she's getting tired of this crap. But um, I really, it's it's kind of part of the thing that got me into Marvel Comics, really, is the continuity. The fact that these books are connected. The X-Men are connected to the Avengers, are connected to Journey into Mystery, are connected to Amazing Spider-Man, are connected to, I don't know, the Adventures of Alf. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, even like to, like whatever comics they are licensing at the time. Like remember, Rom mm -hmm. was uh, was uh, was never owned by Marvel, right? But it actually crossed over into a lot of the books. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, Rom started out where I think it was Mattel who was like, "Hey, we want you to write a story that kind of advertises our toy." Yes, that's correct. And and, uh, and now that it's not part of Marvel or part of the toy line, it's even better. <laughs> like. Last several years. I mean, it, it, you know, last 10 years or so, it became a really good comic book. So. I wonder, like, that when you said the last several years, there was a tease for a bit, like, because they brought back the wraiths and they talked about mm -hmm. the space knights. And I think that there was, like, maybe there was a bidding war to get Rom back. And then whoever it was that wound up with I, it won. I think it, obviously. Was I, I think it was IDW. I think you're right. Well, I know for a brief time there was talk about doing a movie, whether it was going to be animated or live action. They, there was plans to do a movie, and then of course that fell through. So, I I, I kind of feel like, like I really like this issue. Going back to the journey into mystery, I really like this issue. I really like the drama of it all. Um, Magneto's using his powers and shit's flying all over the street. Cars are flying through the air. And that's when Thor notices and goes, okay, I got to go take care of this. Um, this just seems to have like a lot of actual adventure, a lot of actual <laughs> excitement. Like there's action here, you know? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. 
it just it feels it feels fun. And then once Thor gets on this submersive or submersible, he's he's fighting Magneto solo through the halls of this submarine. And and it I mean it feels cool. Now Magneto, by the way, is not too bright, I gotta say, in this issue. Because he sees Thor and he's like, ah, another mutant. Great. Join my team. And tries to ply him with liquor and money. Yeah. Here's <laughs> some money. Here's some beer. But if you're gonna if you're gonna stay with me, you have to fear me. I'm just telling you, man, it's mandatory. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but you know, Thor's not interested in conquering the human race, and Magneto's like, okay, then I must encase you in metal, because magnetism. So it's a great battle on the submarine. Well, but it's interesting that he can use his magnetic power to stop the hammer in mid-flight. Uh -huh. Yeah, that that is because later on we know that nothing can really stand in the way of that hammer. And uh, and nobody else can lift it, right? Well, not yeah. only not only did it stop the hammer in mid-flight, but while he was experimenting on his powers in a major metropolitan area by building a chair in the middle of a giant magnet, it was <laughs> while everything else was just you know going all wacky, the magnetism was pulling the hammer to his tree base. His yeah. his tree fort, his underwater tree fort. <laughs> um, I also like too how that's not really a tree. It's made to look like a tree, but it's got a hatch in it so Thor can open up the lid and go inside. And a periscope um, too. With a periscope. But what so what's really cool, like I said earlier, what's really cool about all this is Donald Blake. It's mostly Donald Blake surviving the shit that Magneto's throwing at him. You know, and yeah, I mean, they call him lame, but he's not that lame. Come on. <laughs> he's awesome. That's what he is. So I just he's think that's real. He's apparently more clever than all of the X-Men. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he, he he pisses off Magneto something awful. Uh, and, and then so there's a there's a page. I'm trying to think it's probably like page 14, right? The The goal, I think, was Magneto wanted the Brotherhood to find the X-Men's base. Uh, and and they come back and, and he's like, we found the X-Men's base. Now you never once see the X-Men in this issue except the Shadow of Angel and Cyclops I-Beam. Cyclops I-Beam and I think somebody's foot. You see coming up into panel? <clears throat> so there's he, so the Iceman encases the bomb the proton bomb in ice um, on page 16. And they show and all you see is the ice. Yeah. And then they show beast's hands His and, then a, <laughs> and then a shadow of angel. Yeah. And then, yeah. But on page, um, on page 14, you see the eye blast, the That's optic right. blast. Yeah. 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 Yep, so it's page it 16 that has all the, all the X-Men kind of featured in a way, yep. except for Jean, of course. Um, She's too busy knitting. Yeah. Maybe maybe the uh, pink word bubble on page sixteen is hers, where it says that bomb will never hurt anyone, Magneto. Um, <laughs> but, but but so and and one of the X Men actually says exactly, Magneto. The X Men have found you. This is the most ridiculous cameo I have. Well, there's one more cameo in, in comics comicdom that is that is more ridiculous, but we won't ever talk about that. Uh, <laughs> this is just so silly. I but I think it was fun. I I really enjoyed it. I've uh, um, this whole time we've been talking about it. I, I've I found it 
the issue online and I'm kind of just skimming through it. And I think Roger, you had a really good point about the art and the, the just the art style is even though it's the same artist, even though it's Jack Kirby, it, it just seems way more put together. And the and the one thing that's that's jumping out to me more than anything though is is the actual structures of the of the panels. Like reading reading through the first um realistically the first nine issues of 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 x-men it was very standard six panel pages mm -hmm. all the way across whereas this one is actually you know it's there's there's a couple of splash pages there's a couple of half pages there's it's the structure is is different it definitely feels more fun just glancing through it more dynamic mm -hmm. yeah this is very true yeah and there's a uh, lot more there's a lot more inertia in the art i guess is that's the it. best way to describe it yeah. yeah that's the word i was looking for earlier inertia that's good um yeah because it looks like thing there's there's movement in the art instead mm -hmm. instead of like the x-men issues look like there's a lot of posing mm -hmm. it's, it's like yes yeah so the, the, now the now the the book ends of course with magneto taking off in what's left of a submersible. I guess he's got like a little escape pod or something he takes off in. And uh, we go to Donald Blake, who shows up at, uh, you know, doctor, or I don't know if she's a doctor in, in this. She might even just be a, a nurse, but... I think it's Jane, isn't it? Yeah, it's yep. Jane's house. And and he says, sorry, I'm late, but, uh, you know, something happened. It. This feels like one of the early romance books, like romance comics. It really, mm -hmm. it really does. And I, I know that Stan and even Jack were, before they got into superheroes, were doing you know monster books and romance comics. So there's some there's some history there, but it does end with that big ha almost like half panel caption that talks about, um, you know, Magneto and and the most dramatic superhero in the world being of course Thor, <sighs> but, it, but it ends, you know, it ends as they kind of walk off into the darkness, which I think is pretty, pretty typical. Now there is a second half of this book that I will say I didn't read and I didn't actually suggest anybody else to, because it has nothing to do with the X-Men, but uh, I will just go into the fact that it is a Thor in Asgard type of story. And Journey into Mystery as a book was a lot of Thor fighting you know, stone men from Saturn and, you know, aliens and monsters in New York City. And, uh, but they, they did like to throw in the whole Asgard thing because, well, God, he's, he's Thor, right? <laughs> so that is important. Uh, any last comments on this issue of Journey into Mystery 109 before we go on? just wish i had read it yeah <laughs> it's never never too late just so that i think it was a good cro uh, little crossover just kind of interesting to see uh non-x-men heroes fighting magneto yeah and it's it, it's something that just occurred to me is they're trying to demonstrate that magneto could take on somebody on the level of thor that so that you know you're supposed to take that in mind when you're reading you know future x books because you know he really is a big powerful bad guy yeah cool well uh, again i think it demonstrates a great a great sense of uh of 
continuity that they're really just starting to to work into the comics. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that they did put that effort in uh, because it, it did establish that, you know, anyone could appear in any book at any time. Mm-hmm. And like you said, just in a few months, um, I think uh, you said that the uh, Avengers 16 came yeah. out in March of 65. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that far off from when this came out. And um, I feel like that, was really important to the even to modern the modern comics it it makes a huge difference in the way that the stories are told as with marvel as compared to dc for example Mm -hmm. um most of the other comic companies don't have the kind of you know multi-line books that cross over with each other so it doesn't really count right but yeah it's marvel versus dc i feel that marvel did a much better job of establishing earlier on that their books could cross over. Right. Right. And I want to give, it didn't even, it doesn't even have to be for big sweeping events. Like DC did it. Like they, they did cross over, but it was for the huge line changing events, like all the crisis books. Whereas this, and and, and especially um, the, the, like the one, I can't remember the issue number, but the issue where the Avengers showed up in the X-Men, it was fairly benign. Like it doesn't, didn't have to be for, a world changing event that they came together. Like the, the crossovers were there just because they could be, which mm-hmm. is, is kind of refreshing. Well, and they were also fewer and far between back then as well. I mean, it just didn't happen very often. You know, we've been reading the X-Men since number one and so far it's only happened twice, but uh, now, so years ago when we were young and reading these comics as they came out, uh, of course, in the nineties, um, we Wolverine was in everything, everything, uh, we also would make fun of how easily the X-Men would go, what, you were a bad guy? It's okay, just join our team. You don't even have to go to jail. Um, you know, <laughs> they did that left and right with everybody. And you could blow up a planet and they'd be okay with you. So it, it, it's funny so that in Avengers 16 and just, you know, a few months, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver, who were on the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, going to take over the world with Magneto, they go to Captain America, and he's like, well, nobody else wanted to join the Avengers, and we're down some members. How about you guys? And they're like, yes. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, it was that All it easy. takes, man. It was that easy. I do think, though, reading, because I, I read all 14 of these issues, you know, pretty much in a row. They did a good job of seeding the thought that they weren't as evil as the rest of the evil mutants, and that they were tired of Magneto's bullshit, for lack of a better word. Yeah. I, uh, I want to say that if anybody, if you like Kirby's artwork and you're a fan of Kirby's signature art, uh, check out this issue. He does some pretty killer machines. Um, this is, the, I mean, that was one of the big things that he would do. Robots, machines, monsters. Magneto's got devices and traps and, you know, machines all over the place. So there's that that signature Kirby art. At uh, at any rate, moving on to X-Men number 10, which I know that Shane has been waiting for because he was <laughs> so excited at our first meeting that this was even going to happen. Um, this is a story where the X-Men meet Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land. It's written by Stan Lee, drawn by Jack Kirby, Chick Stone on the inks, Sam Rosen, our good buddy, on the, on the uh, letters. Again, we don't know who the colorist is because they they never get any credit. Never get any credit. 
Stan Lee, of course, was the editor-in-chief and the editor. Uh, I've got a couple of questions for you guys. So the this book, the well, okay, so the cover price at the time was twelve cent, and uh, I really mourn the loss of a good cheap comic book. <laughs> yeah. When when we were in high school, comics were, you know, they were like seventy five cents, a dollar, and a dollar twenty five, and 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 then quickly after, they went up to you know like I don't know three ninety five. It feels like. <laughs> like right after um but but this book is you know it's 12 cents and i think comics stayed fairly cheap for a while back in the day um Both so in price and paper quality <laughs> that's right yeah now this book was released in january january 5th of 1965 um do you guys know why there's a difference between release date and the date that's printed on the cover. It had to do with shipping back in the day. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah. they had one central hub where they printed everything and then they had to ship them out to distribution centers. And then those, those little sub hubs would then distribute to the stores and they would have to wait for those to all get to the same spot before they are to their correct locations i should say before they had before they were able to release them to the public okay well back and, in the day yeah go ahead is that different than how it is now yeah it, now they don't give a fuck it is so they <laughs> they ship them out much farther in advance now than they did then okay for the most part i don't know if you remember but when spawn was a thing number two there was like a semi that like disappeared with all of spawn number two in it. And yeah. they de it delayed the release of the book like nationwide, or at least that was the story, yeah. you know, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> BS, but okay. Now, now so he, that's... his issues of spawn were like spotty at best for that first year. So I was, <laughs> yeah. well, totally... all, the, all of the image books were, yeah. That's yeah. what happens when you start a revolution and you really don't know where you're going with it. Yeah. Um, so so I, I found this interesting. Now, one of the things that I'd read was that the difference, they they were off by three months. Okay. The cover date was three months later than when the, the release date was. And at some point they changed it to four. I think it was like in the 70, 1970 or 71. They changed it to four. And then in 1989, they changed it back to three. Uh, these days, I've looked at comic books and some of the comics, they don't even have a release date on them. They, nope. they you know, they, they don't even bother anymore. So, um, but one of the things was that distributor, well, not distributors, but retail outlets, stores, spinner, you know, liquor stores, not liquor stores, uh, drug stores, whoever was selling them, they would normally pull them when that, that cover date came up mm, and, that makes sense and, it's the expiration date yeah in a sense it is an <laughs> expiration date sell by date so interesting um yeah it turns sour and you can no longer read it well yeah <laughs> <laughs> old news so so here we get to uh we get to meet azar uh, on tv basically is when we first see him and uh <laughs> 
Professor X is like, hey, everybody, check out this blonde-haired jungle man in the middle of the Antarctic with a saber-toothed tiger. Isn't that neat? I bet you he's a mutant. Um, <laughs> why don't you go talk to him? <laughs> Sounds totally reasonable, right? <laughs> um, and so that's what they do. And of course, you know, they they find out quickly that he's not a mutant. He's just a jungle man in the Antarctic. But it leads to um, a secret passage in a cave or something that takes them to the Savage Land, which is a lush prehistoric jungle with dinosaurs and uh, all kinds of crazy characters. You got like half naked people in loincloths riding on pterodactyls, you know, all that fun stuff. I find I find it funny because we don't we still don't know anything in this issue about Kazar, Lord of the Jungle, right? But he talks so silly. He's clearly, I say he's clearly English. <laughs> he's but clearly, he he's, no, he's clearly a Tarzan yeah. knockoff. Yeah, he is that's totally what I got out of it. It's either um, that yeah. or Frankenstein. Those were the only two conclusions I could draw. But he never said fire bad, so I'm assuming no. it was Tarzan. Um, you know, Marvel always had this back and forth with DC. If DC did something, Marvel would do something. And, and so there were all these... You know, the Justice League came out and then they're like, all right, we got to do the Avengers. And then Kazar was, I think, a, I don't remember. There was a DC thing where there was like a cave, kind of a caveman looking kid. But again, who was this blonde kid who hung out with dinosaurs? Now, Shane, you had mentioned like really being excited about this issue. Why don't you tell me about your interest in Kazar? Um, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just more... An interest in the savage land and he's a part of it and i think that part of it could also stem from the fact that like in the like you said when we were reading the books in the 80s and the 90s he was a much more fleshed out character that was far more interesting who i guess his had an uh origin that was uh, closer to tarzan but i just found it fast the whole you know the whole uh, Savage Land and him and the pet saber-toothed tiger when I was much younger as a far more interesting piece of of comic book lore that just for whatever reason piqued my interest. Yeah. Well, back in those days, the the stories with the Savage Land were really cool. Um, you know, even when you saw people like Jim Lee draw Hazar in the Savage Land, I think it was really dynamic and really interesting. The, the stories, of course, whether it was Claremont or, well, yeah, I think it was probably all Claremont. It was just really good stories. Um, I, I have also really been excited about Kazar, and I got to say that I had never read this issue. I didn't, you know, I, I think that was a thing. We knew Kazar's origin generally because it was just like Tarzan's. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but, um, it was just, it's really kind of cool, I think, for me to see, again, that continuity and to see stuff that, that we were excited about as, as teenagers that we were reading then, and this is their beginnings, you know, back in the 60s. So this, um, is, this is the first time anyone has seen the Savage Land, correct? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. See, that's another thing that's impressing me is... Mm -hmm stuff that they were still using in the 1990s when we first started reading these books started back in the 60s and, and Stanley or somebody in the group thought of them and, and, and invented them. 
So, I mean, there's a lot of creative uh, ideas, seeds for things, you know, that somebody else later on developed. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Uh, you know, you create this universe and, and everybody was running yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. Fantastic I've, work. One thing I've, I found particularly interesting from my point of view is I, I'm not very familiar with Kazar. In, in fact, I really didn't remember him. But once I started reading the issue and realized that it w- was part of the Savage Lands, it it really did get me excited to read it. And I, I really enjoyed this issue. But I... And to go back to what Roger was just saying about about it starting here and then spreading out, I know of the Savage Lands, not from the comics, but from a cartoon from the 2010s. And I don't remember if it was um, if it was Avengers Assemble or if it was uh, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, but it was an Avengers cartoon oh. in in 2010, 13-ish. And there were a couple of really fun episodes in the Savage Lands where, you know, it was it was just a random Avengers team and they were going off and fighting dinosaurs and pterodactyls and cavemen and stuff. And so that that's what I knew of the Savage Land and and going into the comics and and seeing even if this wasn't the very first issue that it appeared in, it's still the origins of of where that came from. And so mm-hmm. seeing something that I know of from you know from from a cartoon being here on the page from the 1960s was was very cool to see yeah it is cool i think i think when i first saw the savage land was in that x-men annual um i can't even remember what annual it was um and i don't think it was a crossover of any kind but um i think zaladane was in it that's my first my first touch of of kazar and the savage land and again, the art there was really neat. So I, I was definitely drawn towards it. Um, Kazar, I think, in the comic has, I thought he had long hair, but I'm currently looking at a picture of him with, with you know, short hair. So <laughs> he's got those, uh, you know, 1960s white guy sensibilities where he is clean shaven and has, has short hair. Um, but he talks, he t- <laughs> I am Kazar. He's says this saying to Zabu, his pet saber tooth tiger, swamp means death, Zabu. There is better way. Kind of like Tonto in the old Lone Ranger yeah. series. Right. Yeah. And, or Tarzan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or Tarzan. Yeah. Beast puts hands on him and he says, no touch. <laughs> <laughs> no touch. No, no one touch. Lord of jungles. Zabu. And the tiger's like, I'm going to eat you, beast. Stranger danger. Yes. <laughs> you do not put your hands there. <laughs> but so so of course the x-men tussle with zabu and kazar a little bit and then they they quickly realize oh wait a minute there's this like hairy caveman looking guy attacking i bet kazar's not the bad guy especially when the other dude is going me crush me crush kazar you know and uh, gene gets kidnapped and it's a whole um, it's a whole thing a whole thing Gene's yeah, but the book kidnapped. starts the book starts with them in the danger room and it shows Gene reassembling a rifle, which is a marked <laughs> improvement in her abilities. Yeah, at right. least she's not she's not sewing this time. No. Yes, but it was still very weird too. It's like, <laughs> where did they pick up semi-automatic weapons in the in the inner it was, room? It was America in the 60s, Shane. Every <laughs> it was in their bunker. Yeah, yeah everybody's yeah. got a rifle if they're gonna be a patriot. Um, <laughs> I feel like we may need to do some digging around in the X mansion in our game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
There's got to be a rifle hidden somewhere. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, lever so, action rifle. That's right. Yep. So we, we get to meet we get to meet all kinds of really cool, uh, you know, all, all kinds of really cool characters here. And I don't know, they're gonna like sacrifice them in a pit or uh, oh, they they have a a trap door that opens and a big T Rex comes out to eat Gene and Angel and and then of course they got to get rescued by Cyclops, Beast, Iceman, and and Kazar with Zabu. Um, and and it's fun because. The X Men are like, should we follow this guy? And Kazar just takes off. You know, he's gone. <laughs> and they're like, wait, wait. I guess we should go. We should go with him. Um, I mentioned in, in our in our Facebook group my favorite line in this whole comic book and this whole issue <clears throat> is the the quote that uh, Kazar says, which for some reason is a phrase I have known my entire life, and it's when he says, "You go now." I'm like, why do I know that? That sounds so familiar. This is the first time I've read this book. But that that phrase with that intonation is just so familiar to me. I think it's hilarious the writing here. Yeah, there's it's there's some there's some weird choices made in this book. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I it starts with the the Jean, you know, practicing her telekinesis with automatic weapons. Um <laughs> the Cyclops uses his his eye beam to measure how deep the hole is. How does that work? <laughs> he's just going to shoot the beam until he feels resistance and then he's like I must have hit bottom. <laughs> but they're like they're they're using it to measure distance. That 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 confounded me. And then they're like there was I was as I was reading through they come out of the cave and Angel's like, "Yep, I'm gone, fuckers." And it was <laughs> it was where is the strategy? I he thought did you guys do that. I forgot yeah. about that. You you yeah. guys graduated from apparently government sponsored secret programs and just no tactics whatsoever. Yeah. Uh I think I think when you bring that up it's important to point out also that before they left to go to the Antarctic to talk to Kazar Cyclops is the deputy leader of the team. And he goes to Professor X and says, are you coming, Professor X? And Xavier is like, nope. You guys, you're, you're doing great. You're the leader. You've graduated. I'm going to stay here. Have fun. I'm like, oh, man, that was such a bad idea. <laughs> After specifically telling the X-Men that Kazar is not a mutant, but they have been in the house too long, so go away and investigate. Yeah, just go check it out anyway. Yeah. It should be fun. Right. You know what something, I found? something tells me that Professor X is about to engage in his Saturday night masturbatory rituals. Oh, well. He does have that room with the lock on it. Um. What I found interesting about, about this, though, on page four is there's this weird sort of thing that's been popping up in the X-Men books where like, there's this kind of like open secret about Cerebro. Mm-hmm. yeah 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 because like they're all sitting there at the desk where he where he has the cerebro unit built in right he like we've seen a previous issue he he moves a panel and there's little buttons and you know warning lights with bad guy names next to him and all that crap and then uh S scott summers standing in front of everybody says sir how can you be so certain he's not a mutant and xavier i guess he's whispering or whatever well the machine would have told me but yeah. everyone's like right there. It's like, how yeah. do they not see and hear? 
the the idea is that I I haven't put the card with his name in the slot yet, so I, obviously yeah. he's not a mute. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> that's that's what it amounted to last time. Well. Yeah. So yeah, you're right because I think Scott and Professor are the only two that are supposed to at know this about point, it. They are the only ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they've all talked about it. Mm -hmm. Just they've never. I guess maybe the others haven't seen it, and so maybe therefore it doesn't exist. That's right, because comics. <laughs> <laughs> But no, and then like as it goes forward, the beast forgot that Bobby could make an ice bridge later on in the book. Mm -hmm. And it just was like, there's like, how did you not know that he could do that? I'm sure that he's had, they've had to run away from uh, angry mobs a couple times since, you know, since the beginning of the book. Uh, well, there was the one that wanted to kill the beast for saving that small child. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> those angry mobs <laughs> while reading this book it was it, i i like i like i said i really enjoyed this issue but it really seemed to me that this book really shined the light on all of the individual x-men's incompetencies because like <laughs> nobody did anything at all essentially mm -hmm. like yeah like kazar did everything kazar rescued gene uh the the angel just flew around and got trapped you know, attack, got attacked by a pterodactyl and then trapped in a net. And, you know, Bobby just flew around on his ice slide with, with Beast chasing after him. And that yeah. was about it. Well, that's so, not, like, like Cyclops showed off his, is either like chemist or, al or alchemist skills because they threw those bombs in a place he's never been before. And he knew that they were loaded with volcanic gas. Yeah. <laughs> That did happen. <laughs> so Kazor has some really cool abilities, or maybe it's just a talent. But on uh, page 17, the last panel, it's there's some really cool art. This panel is great. It's like classic Kirby, you know, Kazar's yelling, and he does this like Ronnie Lee uh, Tarzan yell, you know. And then next page, you got this like Mastodon or a whole, a whole. What is it? A pack, a herd, a a a flock? I don't know. Of of big woolly mammoths come charging through the forest, you know, uh, to save the day. Kazar is badass when he can do. You know what? He he can save all the X Men. He really can. But he didn't. <laughs> he didn't go into that with a lot of forethought either, because he was standing right in the path of where the <laughs> the mastodon herd was about to stampede. He almost killed yeah. himself and the cat. The Zavu, yeah. I gotta say, those two are pretty tight, and Zavu, Zavu loves that Kazar. If if Zavu were to die, Kazar would would be crushed. What are your thoughts on the artwork here? You guys, are you are you digging the art? I, I gotta say, I know you know we've talked about Kirby's art and how yeah, whatever. I really enjoyed this. I the thing that I I liked about this comic in particular was that it was. All of the other issues, like pretty much all the art is exactly the same. Um, you know, he's he reused all his assets basically. But in this one, it, he he could stretch his legs a little bit more, and it reminded me a lot of um the New Gods comics that he wrote. Mm -hmm. And like it was just more fun and fantastical and whimsical, and you could kind of tell that he enjoyed drawing this, and I appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> But but to the other side of that too, it continues the 
this issue also continues the uh, tradition of we well, had to have seen that it something looked funky and he just said fuck it because on on page 20 the last page of the book and the next to the last panel Kazar's hand just looks all jacked up <laughs> it's it's like that it looks mm. it looks more like the roots of a tree looks than like it does foot. <laughs> it just oh, yeah, you're talking you're talking about that middle panel where his fingers are spread a little too far apart mm -hmm. they just it looks so weird yeah yeah hands are hard hands are i'm hard. gonna give him i'm gonna give him credit on that one hands are hard it's it's not nice. that's not a hand that's a those are four legs on the weirdest torso you've ever seen i now that i've seen i did not notice that reading it and but now that i'm looking at it i can't not see it Stan had to put his his captions in there, but see, Jack was trying to say an alien membrane is reaching toward the Mastodon herd and creating an avalanche. But then Stan was like, oh, I thought that was Kazar. <laughs> <laughs> and the colorist is like, yeah, I did too. That's why it's uh, flesh colored and not green. But anyway, this um, on on speaking of the colorist, this issue is a lot more colorful than a lot of other issues. And I think that was that might be why i enjoyed the art a little bit more yeah it's just there's a lot more variety it's not as monochromatic as as a lot of the other issues especially yeah. issue 14 which we'll get to now i i gotta say that i have read these issues um i've read scans just flat off scans of these issues but I've, i'm currently reading them off of marvel unlimited and when you're reading off marvel unlimited i think you miss something that you don't get when you're looking at original colors. Um, there's something about the original colors that I really dig as opposed to something that's been digitally colored. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, because they... the original paper changed the the color. Yeah. Like even from from print to print, my understanding would be that like like someone's someone else's issue 10 might look different than yours. Mm -hmm. That's true. I mean and that's that's been our experience even just being casual comic book readers in the 90s um there i heard somebody talk about i think it was hulk number two mm -hmm. um and there's a panel in hulk number two where it's a flashback and everything's yellow because the flashback's kind of sepia toned or at least you know it's it's the way of letting you know that it's a flashback where where everything is just colored with this wash of yellow but it, Marvel Unlimited, when they redid it, everything is colored normally. So it it does add something to have that original color in there. That said, I do think that Marvel Unlimited has done quite a bit, and there's some beautiful stuff, so I'm not complaining a bit. I enjoy it. Um, I do think that like the the back like the the backgrounds in this book are kind of again all over the place. I mean, something with like a really detailed background, and then the next panel is like. There's ground and then white. Well, I'm still on page 20 right now looking at it. And the two middle panels are is a, is a great example of that. Whereas mm -hmm. on the panel on the left, you have this nice sweeping vista of the hills and the trees. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful panel. And then yeah. right next to that, it's just Kazar with an orange background. Yeah. And some lines. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that this is like with in the issues with the blob in them. 
where he was different sizes in every panel. And maybe Zabu is actually bigger than Kazar, but because of the depth perception until he's standing right behind him in that panel, you don't see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there's something in these last two issues that I wanted to point out, and it's something that we've seen already, I think, but both issues have a, a woman wishing that their male counterpart would profess love. And and that is a running theme through Marvel Comics at this point, or through every comic at this point, where, you know, Jean Grey or or Jane Foster is like, I wish he would just tell me he loves me. You know, like that is the thing that makes them whole, you know? And uh, it's it's unfortunate that that they were written that way. Um we later on we get some great, great writers who are women and even some great writers who are men that uh you know tip that on its end but in 1960s that's what we have <laughs> so <laughs> um when i i mentioned the whole phrase you go now kazar basically tells the x-men get the hell out and don't ever come back <laughs> uh which they end up doing quite a bit but also he's got a lot to you know i mean he's got a lot of nerve because Kazar's next appearance is in Daredevil number 12. And he goes to New York City because, well, because New York City, he wants to check it out and then quickly gets in trouble because all he's wearing in New York City is a loincloth and he's hitting calves with with clubs and shit. So he needs a lawyer. Uh, Thank you, Matt Murdock. But... (laughs) so you know he's molasses he's got he's got a lot of nerve saying you go now never come back uh i'm gonna go you go no return yeah no return (laughs) no talk your world above (laughs) wow all right well thanks you guys for talking about journey into mystery number 109 and x-men number 10 uh next time we're going to talk about x-men number 11 and x-men number 12 which are a couple of uh couple of issues that i i i have ups and downs about (laughs) at any rate featuring um, the bushiest eyebrows to date in an x-men comic which is saying something it, it is. And uh, well, we'll talk about that soon. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. <laughs>